The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And thank you again for joining us here on the AI Today podcast. And we're always excited to have visibility and great insights from folks from literally all around the world. You know, our audience is very international. Uh, we, we took a look at our listenership on the AI Today podcast, and it is every continent. I Possibly even Antarctica. I'm going to have to go check our, our podcast <laughs> listenership's notes here. And I think in part because, of course, AI is just international. And one of the other great things about that is that our guests that we have here on the AI Today podcast represent AI implementations from around the world. And, um, you know, it's interesting because today we have as our guest not only somebody who is internationally outside of the, the U.S. and the Silicon Valley and all the places where you might think is the center of AI, but the company itself is very international. And so really excited to hear about how AI is being implemented from this very international perspective. And if this is your first time listening to the AI Today podcast, you should go back and listen to some of our interviews where we've had interviews with Lord Tim Clement Jones, who is the at the House of Lords in the UK. We've had uh, interviews with the city of Oslo, um, as well as many folks within the United States and in Australia, um, uh, around the world and Asian countries. And I think the idea here is that, you know, we're providing these perspectives on AI so that you, our listeners, can know just really how broadly adopted AI is. So, um, you know, at Cognolytica, we're a research and advisory and education firm focused on AI machine learning. We've been doing this now for four years, and we have been thrilled to be connected with our next guest today, who is Ram Hey, who is the engineering chapter lead at Heineken. So hi, Ram. Thank you so much for joining us on AI today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, you know, as Ron said, we were connected at our Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference. So you may recognize him from a panel there if you've participated, but we're so excited to have you on our podcast today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Heineken. Sure, I would be happy to do that. Um, I will start... uh... As early as I as I can, I uh, always liked uh, solving problems. Um, if it's Legos or reading or just uh, listening to friends, uh, that kind of uh, made me happy. And then I was naturally attracted to programming. Um, I think problems are really abundant in programming, and uh, you can solve a wide range of them. So it's a really perfect tool uh, for people who who like solving problems. Um, as an Israeli, I had to join the Israeli army. Uh, I was there for three years. It, there's really a lot of structure in uh, in the Israeli army, maybe uh, less structure compared to other armies. But for me, it was uh, quite a shock. And I told myself, well, I need less structure. Let's work in startups. Startups are great. They're very chaotic. Um, you have quite a lot of freedom to do what you want. And then you can tinker or solve a wide range of problems uh, that can be quite specific. So in startups, I worked on distributed systems, on uh, NoSQL, 
databases uh, going really zero to 60 um, very quickly. And um, it's not so useful in startups because uh, you either have, you kind of blow up and you have so many users and then everything uh, becomes uh, huge or it's kind of uh, waiting there for that uh, grand time. So I thought, well, I want to solve more important problems. I want to solve problems that are very real, that they have impact on the world. So I became a consultant, um, a problem solver for hire. I thought uh, that might be interesting and it, it was. I uh, had a chance to visit great employers, but um, I saw that if I want to solve the problem end to end and really dedicate a lot of effort into it to deliver something that I can be proud of, I need to be part of the of the company. And that's how I joined uh, Heineken Insights Lab. In the Insights Lab, uh, it was kind of a startup within Heineken where we tried to go end to end in solutions. That was uh, quite successful because it kind of dragged with it the data driven transformation, including the transformation into data analytics. So the Insights Lab is now data analytics and I'm the data engineering chapter lead there. And I built the, the platform for Heineken. We, we have to build uh, quite a lot from the ground up, especially in the global context that I'm in. And that's uh, really interesting and challenging. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, I have a key role in making Heineken more dig digital and the most connected brewer. Yeah, well, um, one of the things that you talked about, um, you know, at the Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference um, that we had at mllifecycleconf.com was really just how distributed and, I guess, maybe even autonomous all the different parts of Heineken are. So may maybe if you can, just just uh, for our listeners here, maybe, you know, people might be thinking that, you know, some large corporations, very centralized perhaps, and your decision-making happens very centrally. But but I know that things are, maybe maybe you can explain a little bit about the culture and how things work at Heineken, because people are obviously familiar with, about, with the beer and the green bottles, but I, I know there's a, lot, there's a lot more to it, right? Uh, yes, of course. And uh, actually, I, I love talking about that because I think it's a, a huge part of the charm of uh, working in Heineken. Heineken is a relationship-based company. It's all about the relationship you make with your colleagues, uh, the closer colleagues, and also uh, farther away ones. The structure we have is of op operating companies. In global, we have uh, main functions like um, marketing or supply chain, where they mostly come up with strategies. But the actual brewing of the many beers that Heineken owns and brews, uh, there are about 500 of them. So it's not only the green bottles, it's also the red bottles of Amstel and also uh, Laguanitas, IPAs, and many, many more. Um, so each country more or less, let's let's uh, keep it at that, have its own operating company. They're basically very free to be uh, local and appeal to local standards and tastes. Um, that also drags with it a bunch of local data standards, local data domains, um, a lot of opinions, a lot of local processes. And there's always this uh, very uh, interesting conflict where do we want to make a solution that is 
very specific or do we want to make a solution that is more global? Since um, Mexico and Slovenia, Italy, Croatia, and even Papua New Guinea, they all, they all brew these, these green bottles along with the local brands like uh, Laskov in, in uh, Slovenia. And they also all, all follow the same recipes, but maybe not all recipes have the same data standard. So maybe a recipe in Mexico must include, and I'm completely uh, making this up, uh, must include uh, brewing time in seconds, but in the UK, it will be in hours, despite both of them being three hours. That's a very simple example. Then when you kind of try to select star from sales, the first question is, what is sales? So um, in global, we are trying to find a way to incentivize the opcos to basically uh, come to disagreement and also come to an agreement with them exactly where what we can do for them in the technology side. Well, great. So um, at the recent Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference, you know, one of the panels that you were on was challenges in enterprise data science. And, you know, uh, I know that some of our listeners weren't able to make it, but if you're still interested in, in that conference, you can certainly go to mllifecycleconf.com. All that stuff is still available. We'll keep it up for as long as we can. But maybe you could share some of the insights of, about the challenges. I know this is the, a podcast on AI, right? You talk about AI and talk about machine learning. But as you know, like, you know, 80 to 90% of making AI machine learning work is about the data. And actually, in that last response, you were talking about some of the issues and challenges in data. So maybe, maybe you could talk about data science and sort of the challenges, you know, in an organization like Heineken. Sure, we'd love to. I think it's a really interesting time for AI and machine learning. Um, when I just started, it was no, no, no more than buzzwords. You, you really didn't have um, a lot of grand vocabulary to exchange with the business. Uh, you said uh, machine learning and uh, you got some scared looks and basically moving away. But now when you talk to the business, uh, you get a response. Yes, we want a recommendation system. Yes, we, we need to predict these values. So we're in a place where people want to use it or they think they want to use it. But the moment you deliver a strong recommendation, the ML crisis basically rears its head. And uh, I think this crisis is about trusting in these recommendations because you know logically that many companies are successful on top of these algorithms. But once, you, once um, let's say, your job is on the line or even worse, your KPIs are on the line and the, the future of the company is on the line, people tend to trust their gut. The gut guided them for a very long time. And um, with their gut, they built very successful companies. So what do you do? How, how do you make um, people actually use the recommendations? Well, I think the first thing we, we have to do is to make the solutions immediately useful. We can't tell people, oh, you have to work uh, for three years in order to uh, prepare the data just right, and then you will get um, some sort of uptick in your sales. We really can't do that. There needs to be an immediate feedback loop. And we know that and we learned that from um, the, the DevOps 
area actually. In in DevOps, you try to make sure that the feedback loop is as uh, short as possible for deployments. So if you want to have high quality deployments, high quality services like um, let's say the Amazon shopping cart, you need a way to see your changes very quickly online and see breakages even faster so you can fix them as fast as possible. You have you must have users kind of interact even after implementing a bunch of tests. So with the same concept, we want to have short iterations. So iteratively provide as much data as, as you can, as many tables, as many data models that uh, your time allows, and you will get better and better recommendations. You will get better and better products out of it. So in order to do that, we need to create Heineken-specific integrations. Um, these tools will have to replicate the organizational culture very closely. And that's something that is very hard to buy and by definition, not on the shelf. You really have to have a group of internal people understanding and loving the culture and then implementing the right tools that their colleagues would like to in, um, interact with. And it's not about um, Windows or Mac. It's more about how you think of your company and how you think your company is operating. So Heineken is a relationship-based company. How do you leverage these relationships in order to facilitate AI processes? Hmm. Well, um, because of these relationships, people kind of go point to point quite often. Uh, you have uh, two managers or two colleagues from different departments just talking to each other, exchanging knowledge, and also building something together. So we want to allow that. We want to allow that, but still uh, provide guarantees from well-proven technologies like, like the data lake. So if we can provide a, an upload tool, the Heineken upload tool, which we are, that allows you to use the same process that you are using up until now. Um, people like to send data to each other with email. Sure, uh, we, can do, we can do a very similar process, but this um, sharing is logged somewhere. It's not only logged somewhere, it also creates a corporate memory. And then uh, when you share the same type of data, it actually um, appends or upserts into the corporate memory. And then the next time, oh, maybe you don't have to reshare it, or better yet, you can benefit from all the shares of the previous colleagues of the previous years. So indeed, if people are sharing their sales data between each other in the right manner, a third, a third person or a different team, let's say the DNA team of analytics, can reuse all the data that they shared between each other and train models on highly governed data. Because we already know that people trusted. We already know the exact schema and we actually validated that over the years, the data is correct. So that seems to work really nicely. And where we, in order to do that, we also need to decouple the big and slow processes that are slow by definition, like creating an EDM. The enterprise data model is hard conceptually too, because you need to come up with a lot of decisions, a lot of agreements on what is an SKU, what is a product, what is a sale. But 
um, in an ad hoc manner, this, this can take time because you need to create a standard, you need to create rules, um, you need to agree with uh, thousands of, literally thousands of people. Um, should there be an ID there? Should the um, uh, catalog number should be there? Should volume be there? What if we have uh, umbrellas? These are a lot of complicated questions. But at the same time, we know people are talking about sales, even between opcos. So we have a de facto standard already. So hopefully we can uh, decouple the processes, but also merge them when needed. This will probably drive more trust into the results and hopefully allow us to also de deliver more and more complex models. Um, one more thing that is probably very um, important to realize about Heineken is that because of the diversity of data, um, we, we need to promote a discovery. We need to promote other opcos, um, different functions in global to be able to explore and discover data sets that other people are working on and find new ways to integrate them. So again, if we have a standard way to uh, ingest data and consume it, we can also find the corollaries between those. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that overview. I know we could probably dedicate an entire podcast to that. But, you know, we do always like to dig deeper. And I back in, in one of your, uh, you know, previous answers as well, you really talked about data and how data can be different across different areas of Heineken. And, you know, I thought that was really interesting uh, how there can be, you know, local differences with that. We dig a lot deeper into data issues in our data for AI community. So I know that we had a big conference back in September that many of our podcast listeners attended. And since that event, we have now moved it to a monthly online community. So the first Thursday of every month, we have a dedicated Data for AI presentation. So listeners, we encourage you to check that out. You can go to dataaiconf.com to learn more. As always, they're free to attend events. And we dig a lot deeper into that data side um, and data issues for artificial intelligence. But, you know, bringing this back to Heineken, um, I know that you know, you've you've outlined some of the challenges and kind of how Heineken is um, is distributed and set up. But you know, what are some of the ways in which Heineken has leveraged artificial intelligence and machine learning, and maybe specifically your group? And can you share with us, you know, what you did and and the benefits that you got out of that? Sure, that's uh, always a great question to answer. Um... I think we have two, two main layers to think about when, when we're talking about machine learning applications. One of them is the processes and metadata around it. So we're implementing processes to track the decision made by our recommendations. So do people actually follow our recommendations? What happens when they do follow them? What happens when they don't follow them? We're lucky enough that most of our applications are internally facing, so we can use sophisticated tracking with um, a great experience to the user to really know how the, the, the quality of the actual prediction, of the actual recommendations that uh, people are getting out of the machine learning products. And that's a, a whole uh, project on its own. Apart from that, we had uh, quite, a lot of, quite a lot of issues of um, data quality agreements. So we had data scientists agree with the 
analysts or people who extract the data or integrate the data, sometimes in a very ad hoc manner. Uh, this, this is uh, my data set. This is how it should look like. This is what I need in order to uh, give you results. And then we see that the first week it's uh, in this manner, and then the second week a column moved, and then the third week um, a, um, some column changed the name, or maybe there's capitalization there. Uh, these things kill automatic processes, and so we also implemented a system to kind of warn user and even uh, return errors when the data sets are too different and the machine will not be able to read it. So that's kind of um, meta. And then uh, this allows us to provide some value to, to the business. Um, one great application that uh, we're very proud of because it's honestly pretty cool is a computer vision uh, project where we track the color of the beer. Uh, Heineken beer needs to be of a very specific color. Um, which is a bit hard for me to describe, but uh, there's a, like a, basically a chemical uh, formula for that. And we can deploy applications that track that around the world and make sure that it's the right beer color. And if it's too dark or um, too bright, the program can also give recommendations on how to fix the color, which is pretty cool. Um, but what we're trying to concentrate on right now is our core business. Our core business in Heineken is, of course, brewing beer. And we would like to leverage technology in order to um, promote sustainability. Sustainability is one of the pillars for Heineken uh, for 2020 onwards. Well, honestly, before too, but we have this evergreen movement now that it really prioritizes sustainability as a number one priority. And then... Um, we, we want to make sure that there is as little waste as possible, for example. We also want to look at um, fairness in employment. So we want to kind of track all the contracts that we have around the world in different languages and make sure that um, diversity is enabled, that uh, there's no differences that are not based on actual merit. Now, don't ask me exactly how to model merit because we're still working on it, but we know that the current ideas that we have are wrong. And then uh, we definitely don't want to have that as part of our uh, machine learning uh, models like uh, some other companies did. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, that that's a big challenge. You know, I think uh, one of the, the issues we have is is with companies and organizations who who are sort of challenged by their adoption of AI and not because of technology issues per se but these issues of data and uh you know culture and sometimes decision making and it's really been sort of interesting. That's why we have people like you on this podcast, because we like to dig into these issues. People people might think that it's, oh, very specific to their organization. And I'd be like, oh, my organization is, is sort of messed up, perhaps, in this particular way. We're having these data issues, these culture issues. We want to do AI. We have the technology, but we can't implement it. But it turns out, turns out it's pretty uh, universal. 
And, you know, I think maybe there's even some, you know, unique challenges. You know, you're talking about how highly distributed um, Heineken is as an organization, distributed decision-making, distributed control, distributed data. Everything is highly distributed. And I love that you brought up all these countries that we don't all, always hear about, Papua New Guinea you know, <laughs> and Mexico. I'm actually kind of curious about the uh, Papua New Guinean um, beer. I might have to find, seek it out somewhere and see if I can find it. But, you know, uh, maybe you could sort of challenge, uh, tell us a little bit about the challenges that is. Uh, that you face with the adoption of machine learning and AI. And as mentioned, it may not be technology-related, so I'm just really curious to hear about these adoption-related challenges. Um, We have projects that are very easy to onboard people on. We have projects to minimize our CO2 impact. You tell it to anybody in the brewery, they will hop onto it, they immediately uh, put resources to that, and we have really nice impact. And not only with dashboards, also with recommendations, how to make sure that we have uh, less wheels on the road, um, less packaging material used, um, and a bunch of other things. Um, you know, machines don't, don't have to be turned on all the time. This all can be automated. So that's an example of a local to global project. And it's such, such an initiative that mm, it's very easy to explain, very easy to explain the benefit, and there is a very nice um, incentive on uh, monetary value and, of course, also um, sustainability that makes uh, the world better, everybody feel good. But then how do you make other projects? How do you kind of implement? Uh, you, you, you have to go to breweries and say, I know people really like this type of beverage, but um, this beverage is actually not so profitable. It's better to not produce it anymore. How do you kind of make sure that um, you have this trust? And uh, many times it's, it's in a way that you show it. So one challenge there is, again, this trust. And you need to talk in the right language in the, for the right culture, because although everybody has the green blood of Heineken, everybody... Um, follow more or less the same corporate culture, uh, there's still this uh, gut feelings that I spoke about before. And what do you do when your gut feeling says, no, this, this, this is wrong. I shouldn't, I shouldn't stop brewing this uh, beverage. I shouldn't, I shouldn't stop making this beverage. How do you make them trust? How do you make each different culture feel like it was their idea to, to make this decision, to, to make this change? Um, we're, we're working on a few things that uh, I can't really uh, describe at the moment, but it's actually not necessarily on the AI side, it's more on the change management side. It's more on the design side of things. It's more on the interface. It's more about making it friendly. And uh, friendly means different things for different cultures. Um, we also want to incentivize, of course, to transform the data to a global standard. You know, to incentivize them, we, we can use projects like the CO2 impact, and hopefully uh, part of the data that needs to be provided is also useful for other functions like uh, finance and, and supply chain. And because the data is extremely diverse, we actually uh, sometimes have like funny conversations of, um, hi, I'm for Global and we have this service. And then um, a manager from an opco will, will say, oh, we don't need it at all. Um, stop bothering me, please. 
So is this a, a technology thing or a cultural thing? Uh, it's probably both. And um, finding the right abstraction is always hard. And I think across uh, cultures, it's even harder. I think building, the, building a global platform that we're working on right now will kind of help us bridge a bunch of these gaps. Yeah, you know, I, that was a great answer. And I was, when you were saying, oh, and we're trying to make things more friendly, but that means different things across different cultures. And you're right. Um, and so, you know, without sharing too much, can you share kind of, you know, what you mean by that and how you can how you can help with that, you know, design, making things more friendly, and then maybe, you know, wrap it in with AI. Is, have you been using that to help? And, and uh, you know, what data-driven insights have you found? So basically, um, you, you need to make your mic. You, we realize that we're actually making products. And even though these products are internal-facing, we need to move through the entire um, product creation process. This means uh, user experience research. This means... Uh, actual designers being involved that, that are dedicated for design, not necessarily analysts that just build dashboards. Um, we see that we are kind of having a lot of iterations for the same project, sometimes with different names. And we kind of realize that the projects not always get the impact that they want. And the reason they don't get the impact is that actually the recommendation is not hard enough. Um, in our age, people have been uh, using the internet for at least 20 years. The banners has been around for at least 20 years. Websites that want to sell you something, that want you to make an action, they have a call for action. That's kind of obvious to every website builder. But when you build a dashboard, there's usually no call for actions. So we, we, we are trying to incorporate this in the right manner. Um, what is the right call for action? Because uh, there's an example I really like from, uh, I think it was Gartner on the U.S. Census. Um, why do people go to the U.S. Census website? They want to know how many people are in the U.S. So uh, the, the, the designers kind of put it in big red uh, banner with white letters. But online, this is invisible. And uh, there, there was actually... Um, um, eye tracking study and people just skip it because you know, you know they kind of spend a millisecond on it they see oh it's a banner i should skip it and then there's a lot of complaints hey um in the u.s census website it's very hard to find the population of the u.s what gives so we're trying to kind of take dashboards to the next level and even when it's uh, internal facing to to go through the whole process to really understand the users and um make sure that they do the action that we want and not kind of uh, trust our luck that it will happen. All right. Thank you for, for clarifying and kind of digging a little bit deeper into that. That was really great insights. And this has been such an incredible podcast. So I want to thank you so much for participating. You've shared a lot of great insights and, you know, some, some great examples as well. We like to end each um, interview podcast that we have with asking the same question because we always get such great responses from our guests. As a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its applications to organizations and beyond? So I think an AI is already here. Machine learning already changed the world. There's no reason to wait for this singularity that will create uh, a different world. The world is already different. 
The problem we have is that we cannot use the, the algorithms that we have enough. Uh, there's this uh, really nice story about, uh, I think it was a Walmart faux pas, where they kind of predicted uh, a teen a teen pregnancy and um, the parents kind of saw it and they, they freaked out. Uh, why, why do we get, um, um, we, we, we don't need diapers. Why, why, do you, why do you send us diapers, Walmart? And um, that was actually, I think, more than a decade ago. So the technology is there. We're just not, uh, as a society, we don't trust data enough in order to actually actually be data-driven, not just say we want to be data-driven. Another great anecdote that, that I like uh, repeating, if I'm honest, is that um, it should be kind of easy to implement a judge, a machine learning judge, a, a judge AI. Uh, there are quite a lot of studies that show that hungry judges give worse punishments. Uh, there's obviously a lot of bias, especially in different countries. Why not just kind of calculate this crime uh, deserve this. Well, what judges usually do is explain very thoroughly why this specific punishment was given. And that's something that AI cannot do. Uh, the more complicated the model, the harder it is to explain. And I think this is exactly the crisis and we need to do something about it. Um, people like to quote uh, GPT-3, how amazing it is, how great uh, recommendations how how great the um, sentences that, that that GPT-3 spits out. But um, lots of stories kind of skip that um, as a human, you have to actually look at the output and choose the best output. The, the, there's no machine learning um, algorithm that will actually choose the best GPT-3 output that is the most human-like. So... And, and, and explaining GPT-3, explaining why this was more human than other, I don't know of any method of, of doing that. So I think this is what we need to concentrate on as a data people or, or data science, uh, data engineering. Uh, if we solve this problem, this, this will be the, the singularity that we're waiting for. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's really interesting. There's actually a lot of things you said today that that I that are really interesting and unique, you know, for our listeners. The first thing you said earlier was about you need to really build internal products like you build external products. You need to go through all the same ideas, user interface design, product market fit, and user testing and all sorts of stuff, which is great because sometimes you use internal systems and you're like, who designed this? This is like terrible stuff. It's like, why is it that we as humans deserve better systems when we're working with other people's products and now with our own? That, that was a great insight. This other one here, you were talking about explainability and and bias and, and sort of like the challenges that we have. It's kind of funny. It's like AI is here, but are we are we dealing dealing with it responsibly? If I could sort of summarize what you're saying, it's like, yeah, we're you know we're seeing AI every day in our lives, but but you know maybe as humans we're not doing the best job applying it and and using the technology for for the best purposes, maybe feeding bad data into the systems, trusting the systems too much. I you know I want to want to you know there was some recent news uh, here in, in the U.S. You know, obviously for those people listening to this podcast, you know, months from now, <laughs> maybe years from now, it won't be recent news, but there was a, another. Tesla crash uh, here, the two fatal crash. Two people died, and because they were on autopilot, and I guess trusting it too much. And right, the, the investigation hasn't completed as of the date of this recording of the podcast. But I think you know this has to do a lot with 
human expectations and not as much technology. Nobody is out there saying that autonomous vehicles are anywhere near proven. You know, the if if autonomous vehicles were were truly you know usable on a day to day basis, they would be out there on the street. You know, Uber would be using them. We'd all be using them for for we'd be you know sitting in the back seat, not the front seat. Um, so clearly, the technology is not there. But our expect for some reason, our expectations of the technology are there. We're like, oh, we're ready. We're all ready for autonomous vehicles. Softers come out, and we are just ready to jump in the backseat of these cars, even though these cars are not really capable of doing it. And nobody, I don't think the technology vendors are promising that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of we're in this weird situation where in the past, you know, the problems with AI used to be over promising and under delivering. And um, in the question of school, is that where we are right now? Is AI over-promising and under-delivering? Or maybe it's this weird situation where maybe we have over-expectations, even if it's not being promised, and the systems are delivering what they say they can deliver, just our expectations don't, don't match. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering if you're seeing that, you know, and you're deploying AI systems out to your audience. They're like, oh, it's going to be able to do all this sort of stuff. And you're like, whoa, hold your horses. You know, I didn't... I didn't say it could do all those things. You know, maybe you're bringing into you into the to the conversation your thoughts on what you think it could be doing. But I never promised you it could do that. I don't know. Are you seeing any sort of weird misalignment of of expectations? Absolutely. And I assign this to the fact that we people are not ready yet to be actually data driven. So data driven decision making is not about your gut, which. I'm 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 programming with my gut. Just just uh, to be clear, uh, gut feelings are, are are great, and we we trust them because uh, over and over again, uh, for successful people, your gut feelings are right. But being data driven means that the the data drives your decision. It means that you look at reality the way you captured it, and that's what you're going to do, even if it doesn't sound right. So I think people really like following um, technology, AI, when it fits them. So uh, actually, I also uh, saw this uh, tragedy on on the news and um, I just uh, kind of drove quite a lot in the last week. And I understand why people don't want to drive. So they would kind of take, take a higher risk than they usually would because they're so not into it. Um, if, if you don't like driving, you would kind of take the risk that you, you see the machine working pretty well most of the time, the, the, the time that you saw, and you're like, yeah, let's go for it. Sounds good. But if uh, the trust, uh, that's, of, uh, of course, um, my theory, the same people that, that trust technology to do things they don't like, if technology will suddenly tell them, hey, you need um, to start walking, right? So uh, you have these uh, Garmin uh, watches, uh, those uh, smart watches, uh, athletic watches that tells you, hey, didn't move enough yet. People are like, oh, I just came back from my 10-kilometer uh, run or I did an Ironman a week ago. Well, the data says you didn't move uh, for a week from the couch, so maybe you should stand up and walk around, but then the machine is really down. So I think it's more about... Um, the specific recommendation that you get, and and that's what people will change. If if it's not 
what their gut feeling tells them, they'd be like, no, 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 the technology is not ready. But if um, my model tells them, hey, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to save 500 million, they'd be like, oh, that's a great model. We should trust it even more. Yeah, exactly. It's the, per- the personal benefit always wins. So, uh, well, thank you so much. I mean, we could clearly go on for hours. And, and, you know, maybe we will. So stay tuned, I would say, to our folks. You know, look at our communities, our Data for AI community, dataaiconf.com, you know, our machine learning lifecycle community, mllifecycleconf.com, and our AI and government community. We didn't really spend too much time talking about it here, but there's another community for folks who are looking at the government and public sector applications of AI. That's an AIingovernment.com. So I just want to say, Ram, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really enjoyed having you, and you shared some fantastic insights with us and our AI Today listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time here. Yeah, thank you so much. This was such an incredible podcast. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including links to all the communities that we talked about. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. Podcast.